0: Hello and welcome to yet another special edition upload presented by Little Caesars Pizza, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media. I just wanted to make you aware before we get into that electric introduction, followed by the meat and potatoes of the show, that this was pre-recorded. And since our recording with Martin St-Pierre, we wanted to acknowledge that he has retired from professional hockey. Hats off to such an amazing career, to a friend of the show, whom had over 1,000 professional games. Unreal. This is certainly a special edition you do not want to miss, however. Priceless stories and tales on and off the ice. Now let's get to that upbeat intro and hearing from the master of the unnecessary sauce pass. You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the game entertainment and media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order order right now the game sports show and gem thanks little caesar's pizza in particular little caesar's pizza in sioux sabre ontario for its support booyah and it's time for the game sports show it is your host david mckayne jr bringing you another special edition upload powered by the game entertainment media and sponsored by little caesar's pizza getting to the co-host for yours truly tonight. They call him Mr. Clean. Not getting into as to why. You all know his voice and love him. He's a part of the Game Sports Show and Gym family as a general sports analyst, in particular with hockey and video. The one and only Alex Parr. Parr, you sexy. Thanks for joining oh. me. Today. How's it going, my friend?
1: Oh, my goodness. I think I say it every time, but the introduction always impresses me. Now I'm flattered. I'm, I'm not blushing, I swear. How's it going, Dave?
0: I, I'm doing great, man. I'm happy you're able to jump in today. I know yourself and Brooksy, we do a lot of different rotations. Brandon Brooks was not able to join us here, so it's obviously myself and yourself. And getting to these introductions, I try to do the absolute most fire introductions. We've had guests who have really liked the introductions. That includes Zach Ficali, Darren McCarty, guys like that who were just like, astounded for how I can just go through an introduction without taking a breath. So I got a great introduction here today, I feel like. I'm going to allow people time to sit down. Be able to pour the beverage of choice they're going to have their snack that they're going to have and hopefully I don't butcher any names I probably will for sure especially with the history of this player and where he's currently playing getting to our Little Caesar special edition guest he is a current professional hockey player he played in the OHL for four years with the Guelph Storm 320 points in 257 games with the Storm rookie of the year in 2000-2001 OHL champion in 03-04 and he was overage player of the year in 03-04 he won the Wayne Gretzky MV award and he was also first in the storm in history and assists Assists in one season by a rookie and career playoff points and single season playoff points. He's second in career points as a storm and he's a former captain of that organization. He also played in 39 NHL games between the Hawks, Bruins, Senators, and Canadiens, a total of over 1,000 games professionally, with a majority in the AHL and the KHL. And speaking of the AHL, you were named to All-Rookie Team and a five-time AHL All-Star, which is pretty decent, no? You were an EBEL champion with E Salzburg in 2010, 2011, and a member of Team Kazakhstan at the 2016-2017 World Championship. And as known per his Twitter and Instagram page, he's the master of the unnecessary sauce us. Martin St-Pierre, Marty, thanks for coming on the show, my friend.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Definitely very happy for you to come on. And it's uh, honestly, did I butcher anything in that introduction, or was I fine? Oh, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's impressive.
2: Yeah, like, I'm just yeah, surprised we great, still have great, time
0: left for the show.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great introduction. That that's, uh, makes it
0: feel good. So what's the team that you play for now? What's it called? I, I try, I'll try to announce it, but I didn't want to do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's in, it's in the Erste Liga, which is in, obviously in Hungary. And uh, the city is called Dunosvaros. So the J is kind of like a J kind of thing, right? And uh, Aselbikak is uh, the team name, which is a steel bull. So Dunosvaros Aselbikak is their yeah. team name.
0: Very happy to try to announce it. <laughs> I'd still be sitting there trying to pronounce it like I was back in uh, elementary school. Mm-hmm. Now, exactly. I so it 23 out 23 with your myself, finger
1: going okay. underneath.
0: <laughs> <laughs> trying to sound it out with the hyphens, <laughs> you know. Sitting here right now. Uh, now get into the post-opener, you know, and it's going to be a bit of a longer post-opener than normal, but we like to do kind of different formats in all these shows. And the first part that I wanted to bring up was a mutual friend of ours. So I was going to kind of save this for the end, but Bronson Kovacs. Okay, so I, I want to know how you guys met. It's obviously hockey, but just to give everyone the back uh, backstory, Bronson Kovacs is from Sault Ste Marie, Ontario, where uh, the Game Sports Show and gym is based. So anyone of our listeners that are outside. Just give you a little background who Bronson Kovacs is. And he's also a mutual friend uh, of myself and Martin St. Pierre. So playing hockey and I actually played against Bronson in junior hockey. So when you sent me a picture yesterday, Marty, with a picture being with Bronson and knowing that you play with him and also you're playing with Jason McCashua as well. Someone who's been a guest on the show. You know, I just want to know the, the background story about Bronson and a little update and just an absolute beautician that he is. <laughs>
2: Uh, he's, a, he's a great guy, yeah. So, I, I actually, I never met Bronson before. Um, and, obviously, he has a dual citizenship. Um, I think it's his father has some Hungarian background. Um, and, obviously, he's Canadian from the Sioux. And uh, through my junior days, obviously, I played in the Sioux. So, I have a few friends from the Sioux. Um, so, when I looked at the roster, saw he was from there. So, it was kind of refreshing. It's always refreshing when you come and play in Europe and have good imports, uh, English-speaking imports. And when I got here, he was in quarantine because our team – um, had many 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 cases, I think there's eighteen out of the uh the whole eighteen guys in the team that had uh, tested positive for covid so when I got here, uh, I was basically by myself for a week and a half and then finally got to to meet this beauty and uh obviously like you said, cash I think he was on your podcast uh previously and he just got here a few weeks ago but um yeah great guy uh solid the earth kind of guy and won't uh very, pr- very proud guy to be from the Sioux. <laughs>
0: Yeah, tight knit community here in the suit. I'm sure Bronson mm-hmm. shared that with you. We're all tight.
2: Absolutely. I don't hear the energy, Sue. Sioux is the place to be, I guess.
0: <laughs> it is. You got to make sure you get up here once things go down, especially we can all maybe meet out for a nice pint, if you will. Now, Absolutely you and cash and Kovacs had a, a Christmas upload where you and Kovacs were in Santa or uh, onesies or Santa Claus suits or something like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We try to make it fun. <laughs> so we, uh, we ended up, uh, obviously we don't have a lot of time off here. Uh, we couldn't go home obviously for the holidays. Um, and then obviously <clears throat> I don't have a wife or, or a girlfriend here or anything, uh, neither does he. So, uh, kind of make, like I said, we have to make our own fun. So we got some Christmas onesies, the Santa Claus onesies. And, Had a few beers and uh, obviously a lot of laughs and it makes for uh, a good picture on Instagram, I guess.
0: It did. No, it's just Cash was just a little bit, missed the memo to that party, it seems like, but that's totally Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) uh, he kept it pretty classy. Now, let me sing something to you. Well, not sing. Talk. I don't sing. I'm going to flat out. I'm not going to start singing on this podcast. But something – we're going to stick with social media stuff, and I think you're going to know where I'm going with this. But, whoa, we're halfway there. Roll Martin St-Pierre. Shoot the puck. He will score it. I swear. Roll Martin St-Pierre. I had to break. up. As it seemed that was your theme song in 2019. So we're gonna go back and forth with a lot of social media here. We recently just started following each other, and I I love your social media pages and feeds. They're awesome. You gotta talk. Right. About that. You gotta talk about that social media. You got a strong presence on there and entertaining, especially with that song last year.
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, was, I think that was in, in Sheffield. I was there for a, sh- a brief stint and uh, had a, a couple of good games. And I guess these fans made. Uh, they took. Their, I, I'm a big fan of Bon Jovi. Uh, Always have been, and uh, they kind of uh, redid the lyrics and put my uh, my name there, and uh, they kept singing that when uh, we'd come out of the arena, and then they'd meet me before going into the arena for games, and it was just uh, it's just awesome to see the support. Doesn't matter what league, what country you're in, Um, you know, there's some diehard fans, and you just gotta you know take it and roll with it and have some fun with it. So that's where the song comes from.
0: Yeah, did they do a little remix when you score? Was that your goal song or something? Yeah.
2: Exactly. So when I scored, they, they would uh, chant that. And I think I, we met them one of the two guys. Um, after the game, we had some beers at the, one of the bars. And he kept, uh, he's very proud to, to show me that, uh, you know, he made the lyrics and and then they would just sing in the bar when they're actually crushed. But uh, that's where it comes from. Yeah. So good times.
1: Alex, what do you think of that? That's that's cool. That's, it's really cool. Like that's what I think North American hockey is missing a lot. Like I I think they probably get that from their soccer chants cuz soccer chants in Europe are so unique and I just think North American hockey misses that so much. I feel like it would be so much cooler if Canadians and Americans made these unique chants for the fans. I don't know. There's yeah. just something that I th- I think we're missing in the NHL when it comes to that.
2: There's there's nothing like um obviously if you had, You've never had the chance to go see uh soccer in Europe, but whether it's in Germany, whether it's in Spain,
1: um,
2: it is absolutely crazy. I got a chance a few years ago to go to Barcelona against Manchester City, and there's ninety nine thousand oh, people. I mean, it's slammed, and those fans chant all game, whether it's the booster club or the visiting team and, and all that stuff. So um and then you put that in towards the hockey. So usually uh, just take germany for example this one end is probably uh the home team and then the other end is probably the visiting team fans and they have drums and they sing and they chant um and some rinks they're, it's so small uh, even the bigger rinks you can't even hear the whistle and that goes on for full 60 minutes so it's just awesome it's like you said it's a soccer fan mentality in a hockey rink and uh it, it's completely different so people that you know, my dad came here last year when I was in, in Bratislava in Slovakia and he's like, Holy shit, you know, it's it's pretty uh it's overwhelming. It's awesome.
0: Oh, it's a, the atmosphere is. I know some people say they want to compare it to like uh, the Big House in Michigan, right, where it's a full house, exactly, it's loud, right, and th- that's a fair comparison. But I've had, like you said, uh, you've had that experience. I've had friends that have experienced those atmospheres in soccer. There is no atmosphere like that. If you want to compare hockey to soccer, let me give someone a brief, uh, kind of a brief example. Obviously, being a, at a lot of Leaf games, everyone knows that myself and Alex are Toronto fans, taking our whole hats off for a second here, which. Yeah. Sucker for pains, obviously, and, uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, like you go to a Leaf game or a Habs game, which obviously you played in Montreal, you also played mm-hmm. in Chicago, and uh, and also you had time in Boston, so you you were a part of some you know some very passionate fan bases. But with having the experience in those games, here's what happens at those games: they boo, they they chant Canada, or they're getting absolutely rattled at the at the players and maybe chanting names the odd time but when you go to a game like in europe it's all positivity it feels like
2: oh it's awesome it's just it's an absolute circus (laughs) to be honest with you but (laughs) um but it's just as fun to play home as it is away because i mean you can't the atmosphere is crazy um and like you said there's chance they have whether it doesn't matter what kind of language they speak you know it's uh it's very uh i mean just crazy. That's basically the, the best words to put it. Uh, but like, you're right. I mean, playing in Montreal is obviously it's a, that was a dream come true. And I, to experience, and I grew up watching the Montreal Canadians. So just going to the bell center, um, the atmosphere is awesome. Uh, Toronto is a little bit different because obviously it's a little bit more white collar. Um, so I was kind of like a bit shocked when I was in with Boston and we played in Toronto, you know, uh, fans, <clears throat> the section across the benches, uh, it's all corporate, right? So there's, I guess there's a bar under the seats there that people go and um, you know bring their clients and stuff. So usually when the start of the period starts, half the fans are missing because they're boozing under the under the stands. So it's it's definitely different mentality, but I mean it is what it is. A good atmosphere is a good atmosphere, right?
0: It is, Alex. I know we got a couple more social media things we want to jump into, so I'll let you go next with the ones uh, that you that caught your eye. Oh, you were watching some clips today.
1: Yeah, I was watching some clips. I was going through. Uh, ESPN has a pretty cool player tracker, so I can go through and see all of your NHL games. But uh, I was looking for for your NHL debut, and uh, that didn't really go according to plan, did it? No,
2: <laughs> no, we got spanked. <laughs> that, was the, that was not the way we wanted. But uh, no, that was uh, obviously that was a pretty uh, pretty cool experience taking my very first face off against Mike Medano. and uh, oh. we just got. I was. I think I was the second second or third line, and we got scored, I think, the first shift, so when I got on, um, obviously we were down a goal, but I, I think he literally broke my wrist on the first face-off, and it was kind of like a an eye-opener saying, wow, like he's good. I mean, strong, fast, and that's what it's <laughs> going to take to, you know, just coming from the face-off, and yeah, we didn't have a really good game, but uh, my parents were down from uh, from Ottawa, and my aunt, uh, my brother, was there, so that was just obviously a cool experience being a Canadian-born player to to finally achieve his dream and play one uh play his first nhl
1: game who uh who before that game gave you the best advice heading into the game
2: <sighs> oh, who gave me
1: the best advice uh point was pretty good um i um
2: obviously being french patrick Lalime was our uh mm-hmm. was our backup he was good to me but uh one that always stuck out and now he actually resides in ottawa it's uh Matt, matthew barnaby um you know he's the biggest goofball was such a down-to-earth guy obviously his role on the ice was different as uh you know an agitator and, and obviously a tough guy but um he's the first one when I actually put on my jersey for the first time uh he was literally once a jersey went over my head he was right in front of me kind of scared me a little bit shook my hand and he said uh you know welcome to the big leagues and just play your game and have fun so that was I thought that was unbelievable from for him to do that to me, as just being a call-up guy, and that always stuck around with me. Um, you know, just a little thing like that, just kind of welcoming me to to the NHL. So.
0: See Barnaby, there's there's a guy that you know. Speaking of who can be an agitator and get the job done on both ends of the ice in terms of just being in his zone. He was he was well in his zone and in, in the offensive zone. There's somebody who grinded hard on the boards. You don't see these those types of players anymore as much. I feel like maybe you do. Yeah. Like. Like, it's just those are different breeds. I miss those times with, with- old, old old time hockey, yeah. Oh, the best way to look at it. Now, I want, sticking with that social media thing, there's a lot that I could bring up your uh, your post with when you're in a phone booth in London. Uh, you're hitting yeah. golf balls in Dubai, shirts off for the boys, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have that going on. And obviously, you train with Tony Greco. I believe that was his name. He, he's done so much in your career um, with training with him. It seems like for a pretty long time, actually. And you actually had a post with Claude Giroux and Jason Atkinson. Uh, yeah. It, like I don't know if you wanted to jump into kind of the golf ball thing or if you want to jump in talk about Tony Fracco. I'm gonna leave the floor for you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's you know, I, like I said, I, I, obviously so you guys know I played ten years in North America, being mostly in the AHL and NHL, and it's definitely hard on the body. Obviously, when you come as a, we joke around with, you know, you come in the league as a as a prospect, and the older you get, you become a suspect, you know. <laughs> um, and for me, you know, after ten years, and obviously my last goal was to play. A game in montreal for the montreal canadians and i was able i was able to achieve that when i was uh, on my 10th year when i was 30 so after that it was it was okay for me i was you know content of i've done everything i could in north america you know and happy with the 39 games but um it was time to come to europe the good thing about europe is some leagues like my league here in hungary we only play 36 games most of the leagues in the KHL, well, most of the teams in the khl Um, and some other leagues like in Switzerland and Germany, most of the teams place 56 games. So it's the same length of the season, but less games because there's a national team break here, uh, which is three times a season. And usually it's around two weeks. So it's very easy here to hop on the train or hop on a, on a, on a plane. And during those breaks go, uh, to places. So that's why when I was in Kazakhstan, it was just a six hour direct flight to Dubai. So we were able to go there. Like you saw, hit some golf balls from, uh, on the beach and those golf balls actually um, disintegrate in the water and it's fish, fish uh, food. So oh. it's, uh, it's what? pretty That's well so advanced. Cool. There. It Isn't is. It? Yeah. It's the same feel as a as a golf ball. If you didn't know the difference, you couldn't even tell the difference. Uh, yeah. But once you get in yeah, a certain amount in the water, they just dissolve and uh, it's fish food uh, for the fishies. So um, yeah, so I, I was, a have been fortunate to go to Thailand to, you know, uh, a lot of places in Switzerland, Spain. Uh, so that's the cool part about Europe. It's definitely less taxing on your body. Um, and then uh, you get to travel. So it's kind of, you know, in Canada, you go from New York City, uh, you know, a four or five hour plane to L.A. And you're still in the United States. Well, in Europe, you can be in Paris, France and a five hour flight. You end up in Croatia or Italy or, you know, um, uh finland sweden so it's it's just it's so much it's way cooler to to travel around here so and the trains are nice and you can just go on and backpack anywhere you want so that's kind of the good positive thing about europe it's not the nhl but there's always pros and cons to you know different leagues and stuff so um yeah so we get to we get to get a lot of stamps on our passports.
0: <laughs> see, that's but, a whole uh, travel. It's so awesome. That's Yeah, so, so I'm Oops. a big, I
2: have a big, I'm a big travel guy, so it's uh, obviously I, I was able to live and play in 12 different countries, so I got to see a lot of uh you know, religions and uh, different mentality as far as uh um, and, you know, and different laws and and all that stuff, so it's kind of Makes you as a as a better person, trying to see the the good and the bad in the, in everybody and then in, in any country. So just a good experience all, all overall. And as far as um, as far as Tony Greco, I've been t- training with Tony for uh, I think it's eight nine years. Um, and he has a, just a different philosophy. He's more of a um, <clears throat> you know our workouts are not much longer than an hour and it's go go go. It cranks the music and you know there's a lot of swearing and yelling, but um, and I was fortunate to, uh, probably for the last 12 years, I'd say, me and Claude Giroux, you know, we lived in the same building, uh, condominium. <clears throat> so, you know, we'd train, skate together, lunch together, go for dinners together, and Jason Axson was there also. So those are two guys that, uh, as far as our core group, um, what they consider professional hockey players, uh, training with Tony, it uh, definitely sets the bar high as far as we're basically me and Jason trying to keep up with Claude because he's an absolute machine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's a he's a he's a freak on and off the ice, and um, you know, it, it's good, especially when you get older, you know, to 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 try and match whether we're doing sprints or strength and all that stuff. So, um, and he is where he is right now. You know, he's been, uh, for many years, captain of the Flyers and has having a lot of success, whether it's on the international level or, you know, getting on the cover of NHL I think it's 2011 so his accolades are speak for itself but uh, he's definitely uh, a hard hard worker and obviously you kind of want to match that when you train with him
0: that's why you have those types type of competitiveness and a, lot of here, a lot of players from the Sioux I know even our mutual friend may say that there's, there's always a lot of good people that you can work out with here in town previously uh, a lot of the pros work out together a lot of players have come from the Sioux, you got Mario Turco who's come from the Sioux, uh, Ron yep. Francis guys that have worked together, guys like Matt Dacassini who's currently still playing in Europe uh, Tyler Kennedy who formerly won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins, that's so big it's a training but it's a lot different now than what it was then, I'm being even told by a friend of mine Colin Miller who obviously plays with the Buffalo Sabres, saying that what it was when him and I actually trained at a time when we were playing junior hockey with certain coach, to now what he does is obviously different, because junior to the professional is completely overall different, but just the regimens have changed, right? With swimming now, more more cardio-based.
2: It's crazy. I mean, uh, when I see, I was I was fortunate, because I came in uh, junior in the early 2000s, so I kind of caught the last um last few years of those uh, players that played in the in the in the 90s I guess if you want to say Um, so like for example Barnaby uh, you know Robert Lang, Marty LaPointe um, were just kind of drifting off to their retirement and then uh, my third second year I think in Chicago that's when like Patrick Kane, Corey Crawford, uh, Jonathan Taze that was their first year pro so I got to see the old school and then obviously the new Uh, up-and-coming superstars and you're right I mean the uh, the training I used to do when I was in my 20s was basically you know heavy squats heavy bench press chin-ups go run around the two mile you know yeah six laps six six laps around the 400 meter track because you had a two mile run test you know what I mean yeah Um, and now I mean That's why I like with Tony, we, um, you know, we do just um, some static stuff, some, you know, a lot of stretching, a lot of uh, fast pace, fast twitch, uh, but just everything's all mixed in together, a lot of mobility. um, And then you can see nowadays with, you know, for example, like McDavid, how good of a skater he is, Austin Matthews, you know, even like Claude Giroux, like Claude, if you'd see him without a shirt at the beach and you didn't know who he was, you wouldn't think he's an athlete, but he's just so powerful and it's not about having big arms or big legs. It's just how you can move. And um, from you know zero to three steps, if you're powerful, if you're fast, and uh, obviously with the skills and stuff. But uh, the training is definitely changed 100% to uh, to the the new era, I guess. And uh, and obviously conditioning, whether guys do swimming uh, for their you know for their lungs to expand their lungs, and and as far as their breathing and oxygen intake or to for shoulder rehabs or knee rehabs or treadmills in the water. So it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, like I said, it's changed drastically, but I mean, for the better, I guess.
0: It has. You see. That's fantastic stuff. Now you know what that was actually supposed to be a post opener, but we did touch a couple topics there. So we're with 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 everything. It's just amazing to see everything with the involvement of hockey. But yourself, okay. We're gonna go all over the place here, okay. I know myself sure. and I have a load, loads of different things. So <laughs> the first thing I want to go is actually with starting with this quote-unquote random rotation. Is I want to talk about love. Bringing up the process, the next step of the players in their career, and the career for you has obviously been adventurous, as we've already alluded to, and hardworking, but it was also so sick, quote unquote, because of the areas you're able to play in. But in particular with the NHL, you go undrafted, then sign as undrafted free agent. What can you say, like, what can you say to people that you know have wet, that go undrafted, maybe don't get drafted? Also, the feeling that you were undrafted the way that you felt, right? And then the second part of the process would be, like, you end up signing in Chicago as an undrafted free agent. So both ends of that, what I'm getting to is, like, how did that make you feel as someone who went undrafted with the success you had in the Ontario Hockey League? And then what what brought up Chicago? And what advice overall can you give to people that, you know, maybe been told they're smaller or go undrafted or anything of such?
2: Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think – the biggest thing for me was my support system i mean my my parents and obviously my brother who's three years younger but um and just some close friends that you know i've always media has always said i was never tall enough not fast enough and i've never been the fastest player per se um but as you grow up and uh and mature and get more experience you kind of turn that the negative media stuff into like more motivation uh so i've always wanted to prove people that can do it and and I wanted almost people to to doubt me so that I can prove them wrong. Um, so for me, once I won the Overage Player of the Year in the OHL 2004, and uh, you know I was fortunate to play with you know my wingers were Ryan Callahan, Dustin Brown, Dan Paie. Uh, we had Dan Girardi, Kevin Klein on the points. So our power play was crazy good, <laughs> you know. But they were all drafted and they all turned pro. And unfortunately for me, um, you know I had 110 points, which is very good in junior. And it, the lockout happened, 0405. So I had absolutely nothing going for me. Um, I actually went to my best buddy from my hometown, JF Perak, who was at Dalhousie University uh, in Halifax, um, convinced me to come and take my school package and go to school. So it was very hard for me to do that transition. I was there for five weeks, and uh, just overall in the hockey world, you can try never to burn bridges, always be a good good guy keep your relationships on good terms and I got a phone call after five weeks from Jeff Ward who is the head coach of the Calgary Flames right now and he is from Guelph and he used to coach the Guelph Storm in the late 90s and he was at the time uh, Edmonton had a AHL team at the Rexall place in Edmonton during the because they wanted to keep the hockey in Edmonton Um, so the Toronto Roadrunners uh, went to Edmonton um and then hamilton sorry toronto was affiliated with montreal and edmonton uh the, the previous years and then they kind of split those ahl teams and uh, he basically said listen there's uh usually 50 spots on a training camp roster we're at 49 he's like you want to come and try out and i lately if i was to get on a um score sheet professionally i would lose my school package uh, at dalhousie and i didn't even hesitate i'm like i'm going for my trying to chase my dream and Packed my bags, dropped it off in Ottawa, and went to camp and had a great camp. Um, and that was my first year pro. And then uh, Edmonton uh, signed me to a one-year. I would play in the East Coast and then, and then in the AHL that season. Uh, Kevin Lowe is a good friend of Dale Talon, who is now, I think, in, in Florida. But at the time, he was with Chicago. And uh, I actually signed a two-year with Edmonton. But because of the – went to lockout finish in 5 six. Uh, there's no AHL team in Edmonton. So they basically just loaned me to Chicago and uh, went to camp, had an okay camp, um, got sent down to to Norfolk and then um, just absolutely went on a tear. And then they ended up signing me to a two year deal. And a few months later, got to experience my, uh, to play my first NHL game. So it was a crazy uh, two years to say the least, but um, of course everybody wants to be drafted. I think that's, uh, it's a big stereotype for hockey players. But for me, I would think that I was fortunate enough to not be drafted. But um, when I say fortunate enough is to that I was able to kind of sneak in the back door. Um, and I think if I look back, if I did get drafted, you're basically stuck with the team for five years. So if you are a high draft pick, I mean, you got all the many, many chances to, to stick to with the big team. Uh, but for me, I probably would have went, been sent down and just buried in the minors. Um, so for me, when Chicago kind of snuck in there and then was able to play three years in the organization and then go to Boston and, you know, things happen to, at, the, at the weirdest time. And um, whether you're on the front page of, uh, you know, Sports Illustrated and you're this big superstar, um, I wasn't, but I ended up making it anyways. I wasn't a full-time NHL by any means, but um, I got there, so... Just always keep believing in yourself and, you know, do the do the right things. Control what you can control and things will unfold and stuff will happen. I mean, especially with hockey, you have a lot of injuries. Um, you don't want to wish another player, whether you like him or you don't, that he gets hurt. But that's the nature of the business. Um, you know, injuries happen. Guys in the minors get called up. You do well. You stick around. Um, so that was kind of my path turning pro and how I, uh, my mentality going you know, being being a bit disappointed not being drafted, but once you realize the world of hockey and how it works, sometimes it's good not to be drafted, and you can
0: kind of pick your spots and go from there. Like that. That's see, that's such a great. Wow! Spot. Yeah. It's holy. Great, right. Like overall, like you get that you got the chance to play play in the National Hockey League. But I know Alex, you wanted to bring up a couple more things here.
1: Wow! Yeah. No. What a way to turn it. I guess. I guess like you
0: go undrafted and
1: was that kind of like a blow to you? Like, oh, well, I guess that's it because I, I don't know. You don't really hear about people who go undrafting being able to flip it in such a positive way that you did. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm just yeah. so amazed by that. So uh, yeah,
2: no, my draft was in Toronto. So uh, basically, I remember my parents wanted to I was coming back from Guelph, going to Ottawa and I stopped obviously in Toronto um and then i think I, I, when i was 18 i did a uh, conditioning camp in philly um and then when i was 19 i did a, another conditioning camp in calgary and the new york rangers used to do in august uh in calgary uh where the dinos play on campus and uh, nothing came out of there so when i didn't get drafted obviously you're still sad because as a player you want to go and put the Jersey in the hat and you want your family to be proud. So it was kind of, it was a big bummer for me to see my parents not being disappointed, but to, to get to experience that because tons of my buddies from, you know, from Ottawa and I grew up playing with Derek Roy from when I was, you know, six, seven years old, he was drafted. He did this and that, I had a lot of success in the NHL and I wasn't drafted, but you know, uh, like I said, you kind of have to take a step back and things happen for a reason like I said, if I might be able to got drafted to, I don't know, let's say the Detroit Red Wings and they're stacked from first line to guys that are healthy scratches and they're there for three, four years, probably would have never had a game. Um, you know what I mean? So you just never know um, what happens. So it, it was bittersweet, but it kind of worked in my favor in the long run, I guess.
0: So if you got – let's fast forward today quick before we even move on to other things. If Let's say – there's a lot of what-ifs in life, but we like to play the what-if game in time. So um, nowadays, let's see you're, you had the same career that you did in the Ontario Hockey League. I think this is going to be an obvious answer. Do you get drafted now, do you think, in today's game than you would have before? Or do you think it still would have been the same kind of path?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I think, yeah, because, I mean um, – like I said, my downfall for me is scouts didn't see that I have, it was called like the fifth speed. Um, So I was obviously able to keep up with the guys, but being a short, smaller player, um, I didn't have that extra gear, the crazy fast, young, short player kind of thing. Um, Because my type of game is I'm not going to beat you one-on-one. I don't have that speed, but I can use my brains and my hands So I can't go to you and beat you, but come to me and my playmaking skills, I'm going to beat you that way. So Mm -hmm. for example, it's, I'm on the power play. If the D kind of, I'm not going to beat you one-on-one. Like I said, I don't have that in my bag of tricks, but come (laughs) to me and try to poke the puck away. I'm going to pass the puck under your stick or through your skates or, you know, because I can see, make the play behind. So that was kind of my philosophy. So I would think, Nowadays, if you get 110 points in the OHL, you probably I would have probably got drafted. Yes, um, but I wouldn't change a single thing um, from my path um, and how I got to where I got to.
1: Was there ever a time where you weren't able to turn all of these negatives into positives? Because it just seems like you just you can find the silver lining to all of these situations. And, you know, when you're a bit younger, you might be a little bit more mad at the world. At what point were you able to, to be like, you know what, this isn't the end of the world and I can still put my best foot forward?
2: Yeah, uh, my third year uh, in Guelph, I fractured my kneecap. I blocked a shot um, in Plymouth. And uh, that was rough because I think I just had over 10 goals um played miss like 20 25 games and to me as a 19 year old in the OHL you you know they, it, whether it's a stereotype but guys don't want to be playing that overage year they want to turn pro at 19 and and be the you know that big stud player that turned pro uh whether you're a big guy or short guy kind of thing right so that mm-hmm. was definitely tough for me um n- never I wanted to quit I don't think I've never had that mentality I mean of course, in minor hockey, through a fit because, you know, it's, it's, not going, it's not going your way and you want to be a goalie and then you want to be a defenseman. And then you want to be a forward and your parents are like, oh, boy, you know, pump the brakes here. <laughs> but um, when I was in junior, I, I re- matured really fast. Um, the other thing, too, for me is Guelph. There's no French schools in Guelph. Um, and I grew up in a French small uh, home, uh, town called Embrun, which is just 20 minutes east of um, Ottawa. And I could barely speak English when I was uh, until turning 13 or 14 years old. So I could I would only know English because we only had one English class um, per year. Um, and then when I was playing minor hockey, you know, in Ottawa, just slang language as far as what we were talking about in the locker room. Um, so when I get drafted, uh, I think I got drafted like 16th round, to the OHL because I was going to college NCAA. So we told all the scouts, listen, don't draft me. I'm going to college, uh, you know, because you want to kind of develop uh, a little bit later because I was a short guy and uh, they ended up drafting me. Yeah. I think it was eight rounds in normal uh, draft. And then I think there was six or another eight rounds. It was called the Bantam draft. So basically I think it was like 14th or 16th round one, of the last rounds, they just picked me and I got the phone call and told my dad one morning, I want to go play in the OHL. You know, so it's kind of just different things happen at different times and you kind of look back and say, wow, that's pretty gutsy to you know, <laughs> to leave like five years of school fully paid, yeah. turn pro, let alone maybe have a full scholarship. But uh, I had a lot of interest in St. Lawrence, Clarkson and Ohio State, um, you know, and that's, I mean, realistically these days, that's like 80 to $100,000 to do, a uh, you know, a degree in any Uh, at any school so um, but things worked out so I can't like you said there's a lot of ifs and buts and what ifs but um, you mature quick and then my point being as far as the French thing was when I got drafted in Guelph as a 17 year old I kind of just got thrown into a my high school back in Emberon was 400 students for grade 9 to grade 12 Uh, and in Guelph we had I think 2200 students uh, from grade 9 to grade 12 and it was all English Um, so to me, not really speaking and I was a shy guy and I got thrown right into the fire. Um, so I had to learn quick. I had to mature quick. So that was kind of like the, the plus on my side, as far as knowing, like you said, that silver lining about tearing negatives into positive and always try to see, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, things happen fast and you got to adjust quick and just roll with the punches kind of thing.
0: See, and like Alex, I know you have a lot of familiarity with the OHL and he touched on Guelph. So I know he had a, a lot of big stories come out of playing in the Ontario Hockey League as well as in the NHL, which you obviously alluded to. He had some great teammates in both the OHL and the National Hockey League. So Correct. Alex, what are you first with uh, uh, his backstory with Guelph? Yeah, I mean,
1: when you're playing in the O, I don't know if it's such a big thing where some players in the NHL, you know, they want to, I think you even alluded to it in your Ottawa Sun article that they want to stick with their franchise the whole way through. Is that something that the OHL players also want to do? Like when you get drafted to Guelph, are you like, yeah, I want to play all four years and win the Mem Cup with them? Or is that not really as much as a staple as it is in the NHL?
2: Um, I, I think it is a staple, but I mean, originally, like if you look at, I don't know, for example, Steve Eiserman, he played uh, so many years with Detroit Red Wings that that was it. I mean, he, you know, he. I don't know if he played 17 years or, or whatnot, his whole career with the with one team. Yeah. Ideally, you kind of want to do that with whether it's junior B or playing tier two or uh, OHL. You want to play for one team and kind of just be that guy, kind of like a franchise player in, in football kind of thing, right? Um, ideally in the NHL, you want to play, you know, like, of course you want to you get drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're from Toronto or from the Sioux and you're a big Toronto Maple Leaf fan. You want to play there for 20 years, you know what I mean? But, uh, I think right now, nowadays that's very unrealistic because it's a business. I mean, there's salary caps, there's, uh, draft picks. There's, you get a year older, well, there's always a younger guy that's coming under you. That's probably faster, stronger, a better player than you. So it keeps you on your toes, but um, it's just like any business. One door closes, another one open. Um, So for me, um, I was fortunate enough to play four years in Guelph, not get traded. Um, But uh, if you look at my elite prospect, I've been all over the world. Like I said, 12 different countries. Um, Most guys will play one year in the HL, a full year. I was up and down. So basically, every season I had two teams, right, and get called up to the Boston Bruins, but I'm playing in Providence. Uh, so I did get to meet a lot of guys got to play with some unbelievable players um, so that's why for me I'm still a fan of the game I love watching some games that I can see you know Brad Marchand Tuka Rask um, my years in Boston you know those were there they were, were all rookies um, and see them you know have a lot of success um, so to some guys it probably benefits them to be with one organization the whole their whole career uh, for me um, you know some organization want to move towards a different uh, path, which you have to adjust. And sometimes, whether it's salaries, whether it's the scout or the coach doesn't like you, and then, whoop, but you're on the fourth line on this team. But, you know, the following season, you're the same player, but the following season, you're the number one center on another team because it's a different philosophy. Uh, it's just a better fit for you. So um, I think it varies. It's just different for everybody. You just got to find your niche and, and make the best of it.
0: See, and you, we had Cam Jansen on our show and obviously this yeah. is a, that, uh, you know, made his way with his fists and also yeah. was a favorite for every team that he went on and by teammates. And there's a guy that you're able to share uh, an OHL championship with. And I, yeah. know you, I know you vocally told him that on Instagram as well when, when he asked what his best moment <laughs> was uh, right. or Twitter, one of the two that you said that, but you know, you have, like you said, you had Dan Girardi in Guelph, Dan Pye, Ryan Callahan. You know, you were the captain in Guelph. And then there's Boston. There's Marchand, Bergeron, the big Z's, and El Charo, who is weirdly wearing a different jersey this year, obviously. Taves, Kane, overall in Chicago. So the, the player that I want to jump into, obviously, first, before we go to other players and times with teams, Cam Jansen and just your time in Guelph when you had that OHL championship. Obviously, you went to get it, I think. Obviously, you as the captain would have been the first to touch it. Uh, Who did you give the trophy to? Do you remember? I I love asking this question because we had Scott Darling on the show, and he said he doesn't remember who gave him the Stanley Cup. He doesn't remember who he gave it to after. So it seems like it's a question that people do not remember because you're so fucking pumped, right? You know, you're... This trophy, but do you remember who you gave it to? Because you're long standing there in Guelph, and there's obviously players that are beside you the entire way.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I know that my last year um, and uh, my co captain was actually Nico Tuomi. Oh. And yeah. he's actually from the Sioux. Um, right. So I believe I, I believe I had the captain um, on our dark jerseys. And when we won, uh, when we swept Mississauga game four in Mississauga, we were wearing an arm away jersey so him and i always and we were roommates uh in guelph with our billets and we always told each other if we uh if we ever win the cup we're gonna co ho- hoist it excuse me and uh and obviously the, the picture that's online it's me and nico both hoisting it i want to say that's a good question um it always it's always the older guys that get it first and that's kind of like an unwritten rule that go whether it's nhl or uh ahl or any cup that you get, uh, that you went through hockey. I want to say maybe it was Cam. Um, If not, it probably would have been either Girardi, Klein, um, one of the older guys. But it happens so fast. Your emotions are running high. So I could not, I'd probably have to watch the video to be honest with you. But um, it might have, that'd be my guess. Either Cam or uh, Kevin Klein or Girardi. Uh, We had definitely, that's probably why we won. We had a good a uh, group of older guys that all bought into the same system, and we were a very close team. And um, obviously, we won the we won the championship. But um, yeah, it's a good question. I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of guys I don't remember who they give the, the cup to, like you said.
0: Oh, it's one that gets the brain moving for sure. And I think uh, Alex, you were in on that interview with me too. Well, was, oh, absolutely, I was, and then like,
1: he said he couldn't find any footage of it, so I went digging forever, nope, I guess that'll just be an annal a of the hockey histories that is lost forever. <laughs>
2: yeah, and I can't remember, but he, that was a great asset, that was a great trade for us, uh, for Cam, because we yeah. didn't have that tough guy that he was, uh, obviously, that he was uh, the type of player in Windsor, and when he came here, I remember the first day he got to uh, Guelph, obviously, he was an absolute beast, monster, yeah. And uh, very, very intimidating, but he's the nicest soft-spoken big teddy bear off the ice. And um, he was playing on my left. He was a right shot. He was my left wing. Ryan Callahan was my uh, right wing.
0: Wicked line. Wicked line. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he
2: basically told me and Callie, sorry, he was was the right wing. Callie was my left wing because he was telling uh, me and Callie that whether it's the breakout or in the neutral zone, he does not want to touch the puck. Uh, he wants us to dump it in a specific spot around the um, the left corner because he would just put his head down. He was such a fast skater, and whoever that D for the opposing team would get the puck, he was beelining it and just absolutely, if he didn't hit the guy, he would hit the boards and probably hurt the board just as much. Um, <laughs> but he would absolutely crush guys and put them in stretchers or like these guys would be out for a couple weeks because he was an absolute <laughs> tank. Uh, yeah. But I remember looking at Cali. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, doesn't want the puck on the rush. He just wants us to dump it in. And he wants to like hurt guys, and he creates so much space for me and Cali. Um, and obviously, he still can put the puck in the net. But his uh, his presence, uh, he was playing men against boys, and that was he was a huge part of our uh, success when we won the the Wichelt, uh, Championship for sure. Oh, that's massive.
0: Now, Alex and and, and Martin Saint Pierre joining myself and Alex here on our little Cedar Special Edition upload. Now, I would I transition to the NHL, okay? And k- keeping here within in terms of you know players and, and teammates. You like you said, you went through your story about uh, getting into the NHL, and obviously you get that chance, Chicago. Uh, so now you're in Chicago, and the time that you were there, it was a transition for the Hawks, right? This is a team that was still hoping to get – they were re- rebuilding. It took them a long time to rebuild. Obviously, they didn't win a cup for 50-plus years when they did, and that overtime winner by Patty Kane. So when you were there at a point at the time that you're in, Bo- in Boston, wow, Chicago, sorry, there, there's 18-year-old Patrick Kane, 19-year-old Johnny Daves. You got Keith, who's been there quite – like basically around the same time with you, right? There, There's that transition with Keith. You had Seabrook there, big Dustin Bufflin, who I know you were a mm-hmm. teammate with in the American mm-hmm. – Dave Boland, who is a, a legend in, in, in London, of course, and obviously in Chicago, got a Stanley Cup clinching goal against Boston, actually, as mm-hmm. you yeah, uh, So there's a young Patrick Kane, though, and a young Johnny Taves. Okay, you're sitting in Chicago. You first get there. The team's evolving to this team that we will end up seeing will be a dynasty in the 2010s. It, it, it was. You win just under a handful of cups, you know, in the 20, I think it was actually three to be exact that they won in that mm-hmm. era. So if you're sitting there and you look at these two guys. Are you sitting there saying, Holy shit, these guys are a special talent? was the expectation immediate. Did you know that right away? And how was it playing with those guys? And any tales playing with the other guys that I've mentioned, especially Big Buff? I've heard some funny stories on this. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, well, yeah. So, my first two years in Norfolk, um, we broke some AHL records for most home wins. Our, our development uh, staff for the Blackhawks was unbelievable. So, basically, in Norfolk, my line was uh, me, Pierre-Alexandre Paranto, uh Troy Brouwer. Our power play on the back was Buff. Uh, we had Cam Barker. We had Crawford and Net. Our second line was like Bolin, Colin Frazier, um, Adam Burrish, all guys that won the cup with the Blackhawks. Um, and here's me that's not the quote-unquote drafted player, but I'm putting up almost 100 points a season. So uh, when you get called up, and this is where, for me, the great area – of not being drafted um, and being a skilled player. Um, so if I was to get called up, you know, you have Johnson Tays, number one center, who's a young prospect who deserves all the credit. You know I mean? He's a stud. Um, I think there's the second line center was Robert Lang, who's been in the NHL forever. Um, then you have Patrick Sharp. And then who was the fourth? I think it was a Swedish guy. So for me, they called me up to, as a skilled player, because I'm putting up all the points in the minors but then again, they're not going to bump Jonathan Kays or Patrick Sharp. So then for me, they would put me on the third or fourth line, but I'm only playing six or seven minutes, and you can't really do much as a skilled player. You know, you kind of have to change your role. So that's where it was hard for me to kind of stick up there uh, because the type of player that I was in the HL would be the type of player that plays on the top six forwards um, in the NHL. But to be in the top six in the first two lines, um, you got to be – the stud that uh, that Patrick Kane, that pa- the Jonathan Tays uh, are and still are. You know what I mean? So um, with uh, guys like Buff, I know that uh, he came in camp, I think, in Norfolk. He might have been like 260, 270 pounds. Like an absolute beast. And to be honest, he's probably um, one of the most athletic, bigger guy that I've ever seen. He was one of the fastest guys Um, down and back that you'd see, and he was, like I said, he came in at 260, 270, and he was a defenseman uh, when he came to Norfolk with us. They sent uh, this uh, master of nutrition that used to work for the Blackhawks, they sent her down to put Buff on a uh, nutrition plan. And I think, like, him eating salad is not in his his bag of tricks. And I think he (laughs) lost, like, maybe two, three pounds in the first couple weeks. And he was not the same player. You could literally physically see his shot, the way he skated, his swagger. Just for two, three pounds, he was not the same player. And they basically just gave up on the whole nutrition. They're like, listen, you do you. And I know you're... Your body fat, your VO2, like it's not <laughs> what it should be, but you're an absolute stud. And uh, I think the following year, yeah, they called him up as a defenseman, ends up being a f- power forward. And I think he had 18 goals in 30 some games, and then he won the Stanley Cup as a forward. Yeah. So that's how good of an athlete he is, and uh, he's such a great guy and well deserved, and obviously probably heading into retirement soon. Yeah, uh, right. If he's not retired, uh, I haven't made it public, but we had a wagon of young studs. Um, so it was hard for me to kind of crack that, right? So Colin Fraser, for example, he was a PK specialist, defensive zone, could still score. Uh, but for him, it was a perfect fit as a third line in Norfolk, but to be a fourth line role player for the Blackhawks. And he was there for two cups or one, two, yeah, two cups or some. Um, as that player so uh, by all means it's not easy but it was an easier transition compared to me Um, you know uh, blocking shots or or fighting and stuff like that that's not in my um, that's not my forte but I would have had to probably do that uh, to stick up there for longer but uh, it's not for everybody so the guys that can do that they'll probably stick to there but um, and then same thing happened in Boston when it was me, Marchand, and a uh, Czech guy, Vladimir Sobotka who used to play for uh, Buffalo, St. Louis a little bit. Um, and then uh, I was at the game actually, because uh, Providence in Boston is only an hour. And uh, the type of player that I was, was kind of like Mark Savard, who was obviously the number one center. Um, but if I was to get called up and Mark's not having a good game, they're not going to put me ahead of him to play in his role, even though we're the same type of player. Right. So then, um, who was the second-line center, is Patrice Bergeron. Well, I'm a, I'm a playmaker and need to put points, and let's say Boston needed some offense. Well, they're not going to put me on the first line and bump Savard and Bergeron, you know what I mean? So um, I was playing on the fourth with uh, Sabotka and Sean Thornton, who was an old teammate of mine in, in Norfolk also. But you're only playing six, seven, maybe eight minutes. But uh, when I got my second stint in Boston, Bergeron got his concussion... Uh, his big, big concussion. I think it was against Philly in Boston, got hit from behind and, uh, he was gone for a good month or so. And I was able to take his spot per se. So that's kind of like where you don't wish players injuries, but to some guys, that's how they're going to sneak up in the lineup. So that was, uh, that was my stint in Boston. Same thing with Chicago.
0: So and, like, a lot of veterans there. And, Alex, I know that there, there's a lot you can get to in terms of Boston and and Chicago, but even Ottawa at the time, too, when you had a stint there. But, mm-hmm. Alex, I won't steal too much of the, the thunder anymore. I let you yeah, have that. If uh, Dustin
1: Bufflin and Cam Jansen had to go at it, who's your money on <laughs> As far as fighting? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, uh, a matinee, five imagine, rounds. Imagine. Oh, man. That would and be – And this is – we're talking both prime. Like, both, if you were to take prime buff – Prime Jansen, winner That's take a out. good question. I mean, they're
2: both tough. I mean, it, it, if Cam hits you square on the jaw, you're done. I mean, <laughs> you know, he's tough. But at the I've also
1: buff, seen Dustin can yeah. grab two guys at the same time and pull them out of a scrum, one exactly. on each
2: hand. Exactly. So if Buff grabs you the right way, he's bear-hugging you and you're not going anywhere. But then again, you got Cam who can hit you square in the jaw and knock you out. So, I mean... That would be a, definitely a pay-per-view kind of oh, McGregor-Poirier yeah. of fight number three. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I, it, well, I couldn't even tell you who I'd pick. I picked a fifty-fifty draw.
0: Nice, <laughs> nice. Draw. Yeah. Love double, it. Punch, double punch, both knockout. That's double great. punch, who
2: punches harder? Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, two big guys, but you know, just great guys off the ice, good teammates, and um, you know, you cherish those memories uh, that you have with those two guys forever for sure.
1: Now, the role that Cam Jansen played on your team, intimidating the other team, who was who was the Cam Jansen but your opponent? Who was the guy that when you're like, oh, no, he's in the lineup tonight? Oh, no, I better not look at him funny. Like, who was that guy for you? In junior? Yeah, uh, in junior in the NHL. Whatever guy first comes to your head, I guess. Um, I think in, in junior, it was always... We had the big
2: rivalry between Guelph and, and London. Uh, and London had Brandon Prust. Prust, you was... um who i've met numerous times after that such a nice guy uh lives in london now but um he was he could he was a good player obviously he played in the nhl a long time but he was tough and he was just always in your face always always in your face and he was able to fight cam many times um other guys i mean we'd have i know in in binghamton we had uh big jeremy oblonsky who would fight uh Morasti and Syracuse, uh, twice yeah. a game. Uh, you had Trevor Gillies also gills with just a pest, but I mean, it wasn't dirty. It's was just like, you know, those guys are going to hit you hard and that's their job. And you kind of have to respect that. So if you're just looking for a, uh, two o'clock, uh, mid afternoon Sunday game and you're playing against those guys, um, thank God Yabo was on my team, <laughs> you know, but you know that you're getting crushed at some point, um, but there's so many guys that play that role. Well, um, I can't pinpoint anybody, but I know for sure. Sh- I know for sure. In, uh in junior was uh, Brandon Press and just played his role well. And it was definitely uh, an agitator, but also could score. And, you know, he had a lot of success playing junior and obviously in the NHL. From there,
0: two guests that you brought up that have been on the show, Gillies and Ibronski. They ha- they, fuck, they made a rule after Jeremy Ibronski in the K- in the KHL. Okay, the guy the guy can <laughs> anyone. And there's a guy that you know what in the ring. I'm gonna be honest with you, Alex. I think I would take Jeremy against both Buff and Cam. I know Cam might. not yeah. get- Sent a message to me saying that you're crazy. I know he's a tough dude, <laughs> but like, I Jeremy Oblonsky, man, oh my God! Okay, the stories that that he had as a player is just absolutely yeah. unbelievable. And what he they made a rule after him right and like it's just absolutely insanity and i actually forgot that you had the the opportunity to play with both nice. Yiwanski and Gillies the stories that came out of those guys will never will never be erased from my from my mind i only i only was able to air a few of them cuz the longer conversations but correct yeah insane absolutely insane
2: i never played with uh, i never
0: played on the same team as Trevor Gillies but uh, we oh,
2: played he was man. in he was in Charlotte he was in Lowell and um oh. we'd always play against him so many times but such a nice guy um, yeah. and then, uh, yeah. funny story about Yabo, we had an outdoor game that year in Syracuse at, uh, one of the racetracks. So I think there's like 20 or 25,000 people freezing cold outside. And, um, as you know, Marasti and Yabo would always fight and they fought the very, their very first shift on the ice. And I mean, it might've been minus 20, 25, um, outside and they fought, they went toe to toe and it was right in front of our bench and you could hear the punches in their face and I mean my toes I'm on the bench I'm frozen it's the game's just five minutes in and they're going punching each other caving (laughs) their bruising their faces and I mean and nobody dropped but I mean wow you know talk about uh dedication to to their role as far as you know enforcers if you want to call it but I mean Yabo could skate like the wind and then that, just another great guy, but I remember that, uh, I think it was Josh Hennessy to my left, and I was like, Henny, are they kidding, you know? It's an outdoor game, and they're fighting, and, and they neither of them drop, right? They just punch square in the face, and, and then they switch at the same time, and they just kept going, and, you know, a lot of respect for those
0: guys. Oh, not definitely. It's just the stories are absolutely crazy. Now, yeah. uh, we, we're we going to go back forth some more NHL stuff and some time before we jump into your European time, before we conclude our show, of course. There's a couple more mm-hmm. topics to jump into. Lots are able to discuss today as Dave McKay has joined us, continued through the show with Martin St-Pierre and Alex Parr. Uh, so we talked about Chicago, Boston at length, players there, Big Z. Like We've heard a lot of stories about Big Z, especially mm-hmm. from – Miller, uh, who is obviously plays for the Buffalo Sabres, who's been on the show numerous times. Uh, You've had, you know, Phil Kessel was there at a time that you're in Boston. Everyone loves Phil Kessel, you know, Mm -hmm. media for his hot dog eating, if you want to call him that, or get a McDonald's burger, whatever you want to term with. The guy's an absolute stud. He knows how to fight the puck. You, you know, and then you have time in Ottawa. Eric Carlson was there. He's 19. Alfredson is 36 at the time, absolute legend. Lee fans may not like Alfredson. I have mm-hmm. respect for the guy. Chris Neal, there's another guy, if you want to speak of an agitator, who did it more than well for what he did. He'd actually, there's a guy that knocked down Sundano mm-hmm. Char in a fight. I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after Ottawa, there was Austria, Liga. Then you signed back with the Jackets, eventually going to Montreal, which I think was your favorite team growing up, potentially, from what. Correct. I'd I may no, because it's by your display picture on Skype. Mm-hmm. Uh And in Montreal, there's Carey Price, right? There's literally one guy who is a backbone of an organization. That 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 is it. That you just a pure black backbone. But between all these organizations that I'll, that you're with after Boston and Chicago uh, and the AHL, is there a moment on or off the ice? picking up more stories here that makes you laugh or even gets you fired up to uh, with this day, with all the other teams that you've uh, played with before jumping to Europe? Um, Well, I mean, for me, like I said, playing my
2: first NHL game was obviously a dream come true. Uh, Scoring my first goal in Pittsburgh uh, was obviously another dream come true. But I think for me, um, there's always a a big thing about uh, the Montreal Canadiens. And like I said, I grew up watching my dad, uh, my parents had season tickets uh, I think for seven years wow. back in the old Montreal forum. Uh, so when we were kids, we'd drive up to Montreal, watch the game. So uh, like I said, it, it was, for me, it was basically the cherry on top um, as far as signing with the Montreal Canadians. And I told myself, hopefully I can get just one game in Montreal. And it happened. Uh, I think it was in November, I think, or one of the, <clears throat> I think it was November. Uh, they scratched uh, David D'Arnais, who's a, uh, I've known forever. And, uh, so it's kind of like his style of play, and they just wanted to to give me that game, and um, I got to go there. But there's a way that uh, um, RDS, which obviously is like the the French TSN uh, that does all the games in in Montreal, the way that in between the two benches, there's a little uh, tunnel that goes into the locker room, and uh, when they uh, they kind of the the presentation before the the game. Uh, when they put the jumbotron on and they do all the clips and kind of round up the crowd and you know welcoming the guys after warm up, you know going on the ice. Um, they, I think it's a it's a U2 or it's Coldplay. Uh, I think it's Coldplay, um, where the streets have no name or so one of those songs. Uh, sorry, it's Fix You by Coldplay. Uh, they play and they kind of round up the crowd and it gives you you go watch the game and you you have goosebumps. Uh, but when I did get my game in Montreal, I was told myself. I need to be in that spot, and I kind of just stood there, and I was beside, um, Markov was beside me, and I could see Kerry Price, and the, the curtains are closed, but I could hear the music, and I mean, my legs went jello, I mean, I could not feel anything in my body, I was like, wow, this is it, and the trainer opens the curtains, and then Carey Price kind of goes up, and he walks towards the ice, and I could relive that moment, Every single day in my head, I mean, I can freeze frame every step I took uh, leading up to that. And then obviously hopping on the ice and definitely had some tears uh, going on the ice for the game, knowing that my parents are watching. And basically my whole hometown was at the game. So that was to me, that was such a big moment, knowing like I've made it, even if it's just for one game. And now if I was to watch the Montreal Canadiens on on TV, I can picture myself in that and i know exactly where the guys are what they're doing what's behind that wall so that was definitely a, a moment for me that i'll never forget that really sticks out as far as uh, you know good
1: memories when you finally hang them up is that going to be kind of the, the the tip of the cap you know the the what the feather in the cap rather where that's just kind of like the you know what yeah i made a good career for myself kind of moment or would that maybe be the ohl championship? Oh. Um I mean, OHL championship, winning a cup, it doesn't matter if
2: it's in junior, minor hockey, you know, KHL or whatever. Winning a cup is a cup. I got to win a cup with Red Bull Salzburg in the Abel uh, League in 2011. Uh, that was awesome, too. I mean, it's not the Stanley Cup, but it's a cup. And, you know, those are memories that you uh, cherish forever. Uh, but like I said, I think for me, uh, number three would be playing my first NHL game. Uh, number two would be scoring my first NHL goal. And the uh, funny story on the plane, Patrick Lillian came up to me. He's like, I got to go in French. He's like, I think you gotta, you're you going to score this game. I, I have a good feeling. And the way that it was in the old rink in Pittsburgh and I scored, I was on the half wall on the power play. And I think Marty Havlat took a shot from the point. He was playing the point then and Peranto tipped it in front. It was off the pad flurry. And I came in the back door and I shot it obviously empty net, but I kind of kept my momentum behind the, um, behind the net and in that corner it was the visiting team entrance to go in the locker room but the backup goalie was sitting there and that was Laleem. so basically when i put my arms up in the air i could see patrick lalim and he stood up and we're you know cheering and i could hear him basically say like i fucking told you so i told you so you know <laughs> but uh, i think for me number one besides all the cups that i won in junior or in pro hockey and the goal and in, in, in my first nhl game would Definitely be playing my one game for the Montreal Canadiens just because I grew up. My dad still has, you know, had stickers on his car. Um, you know, he's got the license plate, the, the little plastic cover on his license plate, the Montreal Canadiens. So, um, and it's still fun to watch going home and watch the montreal canadians and or just any hockey with my with my parents and my mom just goes to bed early because she knows the hockey game is uh we're watching a double header kind of thing right so um but definitely my number one moment would be the once i hang them up and look back would be play the play for the montreal canadians
1: that's for sure first goal so, on flurry not a not a bad goal to score too yeah huh? I, I had
2: i had three goals in my nhl and uh, two again where it's were against uh Flurry, so
1: that was uh, that was pretty cool. Oh, the specialist teams. I feel like Vegas's opponent should be <laughs> dialing you up right now. <laughs> exactly, seriously,
0: it should be now.
1: But
0: that no. was pretty cool. That has score against the flower. He wasn't blossoming, I guess. Bad pun. Not nah.
1: bad pun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now NHL. Fantastic stories, of course, and uh, the, trend, the 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 way you worked your career, the AHL, you HL All Star, your captain, you're always, everything fantastic. But there's more to your career that's in Europe of course, so we'll, we'll jump into. And that goes wide range. It would probably be a time for another show, of course, with all your experiences in Europe. But, you know, just a short brief of it that we could jump into. Obviously, the KHL, spent a good amount of time there. Obviously, mm-hmm. different leagues in Europe. Uh, you have a dual citizenship, as I mentioned, uh, with, with Kazakhstan. Obviously, played the World Championships of Kazakhstan. And I'm sure people have Borat references going on in their head right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I imagine. Absolutely. You know, did you meet uh, Borat's name or Bilo by chance? I'm not uh, – or I, don't, I forget who his neighbor's name was. I think it was yeah, no, uh <laughs> So, uh,
2: yeah, so I signed in Kazakhstan in the city. The team was called Barry Sestana, which is a snow leopard uh, uh, team name kind of thing. Uh, oh. But uh, that's one of the first things I told uh, as a joke to one of the trainers there. They're like, no, 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 no. You don't say that here um, as oh. like almost an insult because I guess Borat, they say Kazakhstan, which they make Kazakhstan look really – uh, grungy and, and old and poor and all that stuff, but it was actually filmed in Romania, so the Kazakhstan people don't really like the Borat references, and I learned that really quick to to not say anything about Borat so um, that was a quick uh, learning experience, but as far as that dual citizenship, uh, I never got to play under 17 or world juniors or world championships for Team Canada, there's so many great players uh, so for me, when I got approached to play in the KHL, one, it was time to go to Europe and make you know some tax-free money and set myself for retirement in my future um, and then I was approached because if you play there two seasons uh, or you live basically in Kazakhstan for two years you're entitled to uh, get a Kazakhstan passport uh, for hockey and play for their national champion or for their national team uh, so I was fortunate that we were in the second division uh, in Kiev in, uh, for the world championship and it was in Kiev Ukraine uh, my dad and brother came down and we lost to uh, South Korea, which the following year they ended up going to the group, the big group. Uh, I don't think they had much success, so they got relegated again. And then two years ago, uh, we were in Division One, uh, which was held in Kazakhstan, and we actually won. Um, so we went to the big group. So if there was a world championship upco- this upcoming May, I think we're in the group for uh, US, Russia, Sweden um so we we finally made it to to the big group I'm not sure I don't think I'm going to play this season but because uh, I'm going to retire after this season uh you know here in Hungary but um there's a lot of good young Kazakh players that play in the KHL now that will make their team uh, a success but that was the that was the whole point of getting to the dual citizenship as far as uh to play for a national team and get to experience the world championships and whether it's division two or one or the big uh, play against different countries, which was a great experience and obviously another
0: memory for uh, for the book. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I'm, the Borat references are still going through my head with that. Yeah. I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love to know the confirmation that they actually don't like it. I didn't think so. You know, I didn't think that would be something they would uh, think of the country. I've heard a lot of positives actually about Kazakhstan. So it's, it, it's awesome.
2: It, it's, yeah, good. it's 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 a great country. There's two big cities, Almaty and Astana, and I mean uh the money that they put in those cities is is uh insane um it, it, Almaty looks like a little mini vegas it's up in the mountains i mean it's it's minus 30 minus 40 uh degrees there in, in the heart of winter but uh beautiful cities it's definitely underrated and uh people that have if you google it you can kind of see what uh what i'm talking about about the the light shows they have around the two cities but uh it's awesome but yeah the the borat reference was uh Learned that on the very very first day. Just got a big no no. That's uh, you don't say that here. So that okay. wasn't very <laughs> it
0: wasn't very nice, if you will. Uh, exactly. It, now it, you had played a thousand games now professionally. You got that honor, as we've seen on your Twitter page as well. You know that one of our co-hosts, as I mentioned, Brendan Brooks, I mentioned on all of our introductions. There's a guy mm-hmm. that. Played a thousand professional games as well. And, you know, yeah, maybe the thousand games wasn't all in the National Hockey League, but Darren McCarty said it best, where it's like he obviously McCarty's played a lot of games, but he mentioned to Brooksy in our segment that it was a recent upload of ours where he said, that is a true like hockey player who grinded out a full career where, yeah, it didn't work in the National Hockey League, but he made a hell of a legacy for himself over in European hockey where you have done the same for yourself. But in terms of the American Hockey League, you had a great uh, great career, obviously, of such. But to play a total of 1,000 professional games, that is something to always be treasured by. And you're in an elite class with that, no matter what league it is. Is that – an honor that you will always like take to the bank with you. Where like that is something that I knew would happen in my career when I came over to play in Europe, or was that beyond your wildest dreams that playing a thousand games? That was
2: beyond, to be honest, beyond my wildest dreams. A uh, thousand games is a lot. Uh, you think back, and you know, for me, is definitely a great accomplishment. I mean, I would put it up there with my top three as far as just best memories, um, and obviously now. I came in this season with 1,010, and I think now I played uh, 20 27 games, so I'm at 1,037. Um, so it, it's definitely a huge accomplishment, but I can't even imagine playing a thousand games in the NHL. Uh, though, you know, those are 82 games a season. The grind. You have to stay healthy. You have to stay uh, being productive and and be the player that you can be for a thousand games. That's craziness to me i mean you know you want to tip your hat off to those guys but uh for me uh, yeah i mean that, that's a long 17 years of uh of grinding it out especially being a, a bubble player if you want to call me as far as ahl nhl east coast and bouncing around uh, all these different leagues and countries here in europe but i would never change anything i mean it, it's definitely a big accomplishment you know i saved my stick i saved my jersey that i played on myself in game, so once I get to retire and hang up my skate, that, that jersey is definitely going up on the wall and definitely uh, a lot of memories and a lot of stories that, uh, that can be told with the, that 1,000 Games for sure. And uh, obviously made some great friendships and uh, ex-teammates that I, many of them I keep in touch with. And hopefully I'll get to, to cross paths again once uh, I set shop back in Canada, once I'm done.
0: And once you're back in Canada, you're going to have to hook up for sure with bronze and get your ass to the suit so we can sort Absolutely the same way. Now, Alex, I know I know you had a question about uh, his time over in Europe as well. We'll do that before we jump into our bonus questions, if you will.
1: Yeah, we talked about how crazy the fan bases are and making their chance and, you know, really firing up the boys. But have you had like a, a favorite one-on-one interaction, either during a game or post-game, with a fan that's always stuck with you? Oh, um, that's always
2: stuck with me. Um, I mean, I've been no. really, really lucky as far as the fan support uh, with the teams I've played. Um, I know there's, there's booster clubs as far as, you know, back in, in the AHL where, um, uh, you know, you have older ladies that, uh, retired ladies that take care of, you know, the, the, whether it's the billets or they, they make you cookies and stuff, you know, um, and you kind of just, or you visit some hospitals around Christmas times and stuff like that. Uh, those you definitely, uh, those definitely stand out. You always want to be, obviously, your public figure in the hockey world. And outside the hockey world, so I definitely uh, did my fair share of visiting hospitals and bringing, you know, uh, some food banks and all that stuff. Um, as far as something that would stand out, I know uh, the, my year in Rockford, uh, I think it was my second stint. I grew my hair out for, I think it was like 18 months. I had, like, the, my, the hair length was up to my shoulder or down my shoulder. <laughs> Um, I I and, <laughs> yeah, and then I ended up shaving my head, and we yeah. did a charity thing, and we uh, we shaved my head, and I donated my hair to Lots of Love to make uh, for the company to make wigs, obviously for people that are affected by uh, with cancer. Um, so the amount of uh, feedback I got from that was definitely heart uh, you know heartfelt, and that's something I'll you know remember forever because the support there was crazy, and um, I actually had a lady um i think it was like a couple years after i played in uh, against rockford in rockford and this lady waited for me after the after the game um and she, she was very awkward kind of just very shy but uh she came up to me and kind of just thanked me and then her husband was there also and uh basically saying like the what sh- the wig that she's wearing was like my hair that i donated uh and no way yeah so that wow. was definitely like you know, and you completely caught off guard. I didn't expect that. Like, I don't know where my hair is going to, who's going to wear it, and um, and I don't know how they make the wigs. Do they mix different types of hair? I don't know. But uh, she was just there to thank me, and obviously it's a very emotional moment for her. And you know, that's just little things like that you remember for uh, for obviously a long, long time, and it makes you feel good of the things that you can obviously give back to the community and give back to people who are less fortunate, obviously. Uh, you know what that that
0: I don't know. I don't even want to ask our bonus questions now. That's almost and on that, that's a that's a truly one of the most heartfelt. <laughs> that that tore, tore my heartstrings a little bit to be honest. with you. that's great. Yeah. To, got a couple goosebumps there. Not gonna lie. Like just <laughs> uh, just imagine
1: like being able to see exactly like the result of your donation and your time. That's that's so cool.
0: That is exactly. That so cool, clips on yeah. YouTube. I saw that. So that's why I, uh, you know, that, I think that might be a part of our, if you will, promotion line right there. I think of we course. already know what this we're bringing up. But getting to our conclusion, we'll get this. And we went a little extended that we planned. We always do that on the show. Alex knows that. And uh, all the listeners are like, when we say it's going to be about an hour, nah, <laughs> we are we're, we're, we're we're on games time. We are on we're time. Fun. Here we are. Now, getting we'll we'll definitely have to have you on for a future part, maybe even with absolutely uh, down the road as well, so we can touch into more stories and maybe for the sure. next time we do a show could be in studio somewhere outside having a pint or something like that we can make it absolutely. More fun. But we usually ask a question each, or, or the host on the show, to our guests that is out of the blue, if you will, more of a random one, kind of puts you on the spot. Uh now <laughs> you may have answered the question we may bring up, maybe not, but just quickly myself and Alex will ask ask you this bonus question before we wrap up. Sure. The question I'll go with because I usually go first. Brooks usually go second because of his questions always been rated to be better, which hurts my heart. So, you know what, I'm going to take Brooksy's fire and I'm taking his usual question, okay? And that question is, okay, throughout your story career that is now, as I mentioned, throughout the show, 17 years of professional hockey, okay? Mm-hmm. Who has been the most influential person in your career to help bring it to where it's today? Um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of players that I've, uh,
2: I've played with that I can look up to as far as uh in junior you know when i was 17 years old i had uh, my first roommate was charlie c charlie stevens who's a draft pick to washington and he uh i remember the first day he picked me up at uh when my dad dropped me off uh he said you know this is gonna go by fast four years you just gotta you soak it all in and, and make the best of it because in four years it's gonna go by quickly and you know you're gonna be turning pro and turning pros are definitely a a different, uh, it's a different monster, I guess. Um, coaches, there's definitely, I had a lot, a lot of coaches. Sean Camp was one of my biggest uh, mentors. Uh, he's now the coach of the Guelph Griffins at the uh, Canadian University. Um, and then my uh, coach when I turned pro, Mike Haviland. I think he's the head coach of uh, Colorado College right now. Uh, definitely had a huge impact on my career as far as just being a young guy turning pro what uh, the do's and don'ts. But I would say the biggest, biggest impact, and I'm sure a lot of hockey guys would say the same answer, probably my parents, uh, my support system, because there's a lot of, even when I was in Russia or, uh, you know, there's some nights where you just want to call home and, and come home. It's, uh, it's lonely sometimes, or you're having a, a slump for a few weeks and you just want to hear a familiar face. So I would definitely say my parents more, obviously my father pushed me as far as hockey why is my mom supporting me because they both worked full time. And, you know, if my dad couldn't bring me to hockey practice, my mom would, um, you know, so she definitely was that hockey mom. So definitely my, I would say probably my parents just as far as uh, molding me into the, to a uh, professional athlete, but also as a man, respectful, um, you know, mature and, uh, and be just a good person in general, because obviously there's life after hockey, and uh, if I ever need anything, I know I can always call home, right? So I'd probably say my parents. For uh, that's my final answer. <laughs> um, uh, no, it's
1: good, Alex. And now don't don't say which is which, but oh. say think of your favorite coach you've ever had and your least favorite coach. Oh. Who are they? And don't say which is which.
0: Oh, um, okay. Okay. I don't know. Uh, that's uh. Jeez, Alex read right out of the. I like that. That's mm-hmm. a, a
1: favorite coach.
0: Um, or you don't have to say who
1: your. You don't have to say your favorite, but I want the two names. One of which is your favorite. One of which you didn't like so much. And you don't have to say who. Which one is which? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I, I already said my favorite uh, would probably be the Mike Haglin. I told you that he was my coach mm-hmm. in Norfolk and uh, and Rockford. Uh, so that's obviously pretty obvious. Um. And the other one would probably be one in uh, in Russia. His name was Andrei Nazarov, um, who is the big Russian bear. He was extremely hard on me. <laughs> I don't know if he'd be the, the, my worst, worst, worst coach, uh, but he was just a grinder. He played in Phoenix and uh, played in the NHL for a while, but he was just an uh, old-school grinder Russian, and if he didn't like you, he would grind you to the ground and um, he definitely left a, a lasting impact <laughs> on me, men- <laughs> on, on, me mentally. And uh, I mean, speaking of me calling home and having a hard time, I think my parents that season, uh, got a lot of phone calls from me needing to, you can stick it out, you can do it. And that's, that's one of the reasons why too. Where imports are so important, uh, coming to Europe. And like I was telling you about Bronson here and, and, you know, cause there's some, most of the guys have families or kids or girlfriends that are here. Uh, but we're both here by ourselves and there's obviously Cash is here by himself too. Um, so we get to hang out off the ice together and kind of, you know, home cook meals and, you know, have some beers and just watch sports net or watch some hockey or obviously tonight we're going to watch some, some football. Um, yep. so yeah, there's definitely so many coaches. I mean, I have to go year by year, but, uh, definitely one of those Russian coaches that's grinding me to the ground, made my, my life, uh, a living hell off the ice and on the ice, but uh, I, I'm still here. And you know, even after that, I learned Russian, I can understand, I can read Russian, and I found that silver lining and you know, played there for six years after that. So,
1: yeah, um, I'm just looking you know, up who Andre Nazarov is. This dude fought Bob Probert. I bet it'd be hard to chirp back at a guy that took on, <laughs> that yeah, took on he's, Probert. Like,
2: he's like six six. he might have been close to. 275 just a huge oh, monster man. and they called him they called him the Russian bear because he was one of the first Russian fighter to come in the NHL and I th- yeah he fought Probert he fought all the heavies uh, in his Phoenix days and I can't remember where else he played but um, and then just as intimidating one he didn't like me and then a couple other guys on the team and then uh, and then you're in Russia so um, the communism the the control they have over the players and the swearing and the skating and all that stuff it's a it's definitely hard on on a player mentally but obviously it makes you makes you stronger and we got out of it and
1: had some success anyways i mean you're laughing about it now so i guess it couldn't have been all too too bad
2: exactly now it can makes for it makes for a good story and like i said if i come to sue and have some beers with you guys i'm sure there's more stories that will pop up but uh, definitely, uh, fearful human being, <laughs> his, his name has been thrown around, uh, on some other podcasts. I think, on um, spitting chiclets and, uh, and those guys, uh, he's definitely, uh, it wasn't just to me that he was hard on, but, um, you know, I don't know if he's still coaching or whatnot, but he, uh, he was hard. Yeah.
1: Was he harder on the imports?
2: Uh, definitely because I mean, especially in Russia, you only allowed five imports per team, right? Um, and they pay very, very well in the KHL. And you're demanded, uh, you're expected to perform. So if you're, and especially in that league, you only play 56 games. So you lose three or four games, the panic button from up top, from the sponsors, uh, then it comes down to the coach and then to the managers, and it goes right to the imports. So the imports, um, you need to score, you need to produce, and then you need to win games. If not, it's uh, that's why you see so many transactions from, Guys leaving the NHL going to Russia and then Russia to Switzerland and then Russia unknown, right? Uh, they just—it's very easy to to release guys,
0: uh, buy them out. So it's a, a lot of pressure to perform there for sure. See, that was all you know what Nazareth the Russian bear. You know that, that I've looking up some more stats. He definitely had a time in the National Hockey League, but yeah. I remember his name getting brought up on some uh, podcast platforms such as Spin Checklist. Sure, right. You know, and I know Biz, uh, who's a mutual friend of Brooksy's as well. You know, there's yep. it's uh, those <laughs> those shows that they have, and the names that they bring up, the stories are great. But this show that we have had here has been fantastic with you, Marty. And yeah, it, it's been fun. Uh, I'm gonna let I'll let Alex jump into after I say so we don't confuse listeners or uh, or anything like that. But I want to say that I know. Uh, that we got connected through social media, then obviously you knowing uh, Bakashawa, uh, then now even being roommates with Bronson. So mm-hmm. I hopefully Bronson, he must have talked positive about me or the show or else I don't think he would have uh, been able to or wanted to come on. So it's it's small world that everyone connects in the world of hockey, which is why it makes it the great game that it is because we're all together in one, despite if you were a washed up grocery stick by the end of your junior career, hashtag me, or if you were <laughs> if you had a career like you've had playing a thousand games, right? Or Brooksie or Kovacs continuing to play and cash continue to play and everything of such so we i appreciate you taking the time uh to come on the show and join myself and alex uh, alex go over to you before we go to Mike. yeah just
1: just keep inspiring the smaller guys that take different routes in the in the wonderful game that is hockey man that's a huge inspiration for people who you know may think they've missed their shot but uh, uh they definitely have not as long as they keep the right attitude to keep grinding
2: no exactly and thanks for having me on guys but yeah that's basically the you know, it doesn't matter what you do in life, you kind of just have to bear down and control what you can control. And, you know, things will happen, things will, uh, some doors will open, and you always have to be ready. And I mean, like you said, for me, as a a small guy, uh, I didn't know when my chance was coming. uh, But I knew I had to be ready. And that's just part of being a professional and maturing and and growing up is you just every day have to be, you know, keep getting better and better and better. Um, And then once the opportunity is there, you need to be 100% hundred percent ready and you know take the bull by the horns and and go for it so uh but it's been a pleasure guys definitely uh would love to do a second round on uh on on your show and chat out for about more stories
0: absolutely that'd be awesome we will plan that for sure especially as the year goes on in particular if we if you do arrange to come to the sioux that mm-hmm. that will be in for a, an absolute thriller or banger of a second yeah. one if you will absolutely be in touch thank you again marty now i want to thank of course alex i'll say thank you to you because you did take the time i didn't say thank you to you yet uh but also to our listeners and viewers everything of such on the game sports show and gem platform make sure you hit like follow and subscribe on all the platforms yes i had to say that which is on spotify apple amazon podbean Podtail, Facebook, Instagram, or websites again, sports show.com. We're all over the places. Give us a search and you will definitely locate the game sports show. Now, getting to our conclusion here, I'd like to remind you to keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah.